on a break from sports. Football's over. The Raptors are hitting the all-star break. And the Leafs are playing teams that are painful to watch, to say the least. Uh, The Peter Morazic reunion night went just about exactly the way that I expected it to. Uh, He didn't see the puck all night. Toronto kind of picked him apart. And the Blackhawks looked completely lifeless. Uh, I have James Myrtle up in a couple of minutes here. Uh, I'm very excited to break down last night's game. No, we're not going to talk about that game. There's really nothing else to say about it. I did Leafs talk last night. I gave some opinions on it. I'm curious to hear if there are any pieces of that Chicago Blackhawks team that he's particularly interested in, at least ones we saw last night. But, yeah, if those guys are auditioning for jobs, that's that's not exactly how you'd want to try and get one. <laughs> that's a lot of... The, the whole Blackhawks team leaning on, oh, we might be better if you give us an opportunity somewhere else. That could be the ticket as to why we might try or be decent. It feels like a bit of a stretch. I also, I thought yesterday was kind of weird, kind of funny. I, I tweeted something about Dubas giving Peter Mrazek the three-year contract. And it, it still served as a reminder that this fan base is still so weird. The Leafs fans, you guys are so strange. So many of you with either the inability to criticize moves this front office has made like at all or with just an overabundance of criticism lobbied their way as though, listen, they kind of have been failures in the playoffs, sure. But as though you're not fans of an organization that is watching Austin Matthews already be one of the franchise's leaders in game-winning goals. Like, he's already at 50 after yesterday. Like, this is not exactly the proudest of franchises over the last, um, you know, let's see here. One, two, three, four, you know, um, uh, decades? But it kind of did serve as a bit of a Rorschach test of, People really do see what they want to see, and it does feel like it's gearing up hard for take season heading into the deadline. Like, I think from a PR, from an optic standpoint, I thought that we would be able to judge this thing kind of rationally or fairly or with an opinion that wasn't already set, and I'm starting to feel like that might might not be the case. Anyway, um, I have a couple quick things before I get to more hockey, though, with James, though. Um, Number one, it's rare that I walk back a take within the same week. I got to walk back the Mahomes take. I put it on the Mount Rushmore of injured sports performances, and granted, where guys succeeded. And Mahomes is not really... Helping me with this? Like, can he mix in a limp at these... At these Super Bowl events? Can he look hurt at all? Am I the only one that feels this way? Am I the only person watching these Chiefs celebrations and going, Hey, what what happened to your leg? I thought you had a high ankle sprain. I thought you got some kind of a shot in it that was preventing you from collapsing under the pain 
that you were done, that you were toast. And I made the little bit of Roethlisberger joke about how, like, Big Ben used to do that all the time, right? Big Ben would take a hit, stand in the pocket, and then hobble his way to the Steelers' sideline. There would be a whole discussion on the broadcast about whether or not Big Ben was going to be able to return to the game. And lo and behold, he essentially always would. He was the king of just embellishing an injury. Sorry, Steelers fans. I know many of you are sensitive to that topic, but you know it's true. Deep down in your hearts, that's why it hits you, is because you know it's true. Mahomes, I don't doubt that he has an ankle sprain, but we went through this entire thing of, all right, he plays the Bengals, and he ends up looking much better than we originally anticipated. There seems to be a way that he rolls out of the pocket that affects him, whatever. Um, then he gets two weeks off, and sports betters basically don't think it's that big of an issue because we all sort of agreed that the Eagles were the better of the two teams by a slight margin, that the Chiefs had the better quarterback by what we thought was going to be a large margin, what turned out to be, uh, I would say, closer. The, the, the one guy had like the most fantasy points ever in a Super Bowl, rushed for multiple touchdowns, threw for touchdowns, made huge plays. Anyway, um, point is just simply when he went to the sideline before the half, a lot of us thought the game was over because of the amount of pain that he looked like he was in. The level of it, he just, it, it looked excruciating. Even again, his former teammate, Mitchell Schwartz, tweeted that it looked different than the last time he was injured. People were calling the game over. I thought that it was done. And then Mahomes came back and looked mostly okay. And then he threw, he ran well. But we thought, again, he was getting the shot to the foot and that everything was hunky-dory. And he's talked about how his golf game is going to get affected, but there's nothing really else. It's just a rest and recovery thing. Either way, I really did expect this guy to be in a boot. I expected this guy to have to monitor the ankle in some way, maybe mix in one crutch, maybe mix in a little bit of a limp. He looks totally fine. He looks 100% normal. And so I got to tell you, it, it changes the... It changes the take a little bit for me. I'm not sure if I can view it the same way, knowing he played well, he played fine, he completed all but, I think, one pass in the second half, and maybe it didn't affect him as much. Maybe it wasn't the triumphant injury game that so many of us wanted or thought it was. Anyway, it doesn't take away from the win. It doesn't take away from Mahomes. He and Andy Reid still. But I did, I did start to think a little bit more like in the cold light of day. And I know this is on a Thursday. This is a little later. Why am I talking about Super Bowl? It's just it's, it's the things that I've seen throughout this week with Mahomes and the things that I've been thinking about. I'm, I'm starting to shift my feeling of the Super Bowl into it's more of a Andy Reid and Eagles screw-up game. Andy Reid is the guy that drew up those plays that got receivers wide open. The Eagles are the ones that blew it on the turnover that kept the game alive in the first half and on the false start. And the Eagles are the ones that gave up that punt return that was the longest in Super Bowl history. That was a huge screw-up. And so, yeah, a little retroactive. Not trying to be a hater, okay? Just respect Patrick Mahomes. Think what he did was was good. I just don't know if it was one of the great injury moments of all time. I feel like you'd have a bit of a limp or you'd be moving around without jumping up and down. Like I saw a video of him coming out of like a porta potty <laughs> at the Chiefs parade, and he's just like he he fires out of there. He's totally fine. So yeah, it it's weird. I've I'd have never had a take like this before where I watch somebody celebrate their 
World Series, Super Bowl, NBA champion, whatever experience, and it really changed my view of them. Uh, the closest thing I could ever have is Marcus Gasol, who almost fell out of a bus multiple times, and I thought was very, very reckless. Anyway, I- I'm I'm knocking it down a peg. I have to. Um, all right, pivoting back into injury talk. McKee and I last night on Leafs Talk sort of got into it on Patrick Kane and whether he's hurt or whether he needs a, a, a spark or what exactly it is. I spoke to Elliot Friedman yesterday, for those of you that are regular listeners of the pod, and he kind of alluded to the idea that, hey, um, the nine goals in 50 games thing that Patrick Kane has kicking around might not be um, – that might not just be, oh, don't worry, there's going to be a ton of positive regression here. I I barely noticed Patty Kane last night. I certainly didn't see a player that I thought, boy, that would really help the Leafs. That's a great name. That's a fun name. That's a guy who I've said a million times would look amazing in the Leafs blue and white. Beautiful jersey battle last night. But from a practical standpoint, I just needed the one... Blackhawks watch and maybe because we're forced to watch again I believe this Sunday it'll be two I don't think I'm going to need much more than that I don't think that he can move the same way and I don't think it's purely an effort thing and I had to imagine and this was sort of what I was sort of alluding to earlier I would have to imagine is that you were a Blackhawks player right you you were playing the Toronto Maple Leafs I'm sure they have pro scouts and a lot of these things. There's certain guys that know, like, hey, my game speaks for itself. Like, I, I even thought about Max Domi, where he goes, why, why do I need to try especially hard when they already know who I am? But you would sort of feel as though the Leafs, given their history trading with Chicago, given that they are the team that so many people watch, that you would have gotten a better effort from Chicago last night. That was one of the weirdest games I've watched in a long time in terms of... I kept looking at the score bug to see the shots that Chicago had, and and I was like memento guy, going, when did they get shots? I don't remember these shots. Was the scorekeeper just putting them up there to help boost Ilya Samsonov's save percentage? Like, I, I do not remember Chicago having any sustained pressure. I don't remember Chicago getting shots on net. And I sit there attentively trying to – attentively? Did I get that right? Uh, I sit there trying to watch the game very closely and take notes. I, I do not remember Chicago having moments of the game. I thought Patty Kane had – Two sort of tiny little flashes of the player that he used to be, and neither of them resulted in anything overly special. Um, I saw him get absolutely cooked on one of the Leafs' goals where he just stopped pursuing William Nylander on the Matthews goal and decided, you know what, I'm not moving, I'm not skating, I'm not trying, I don't care. Um, but what I would say is this about Kane. I, I, I don't know how much the decision to try to chase Makita's records are weighing on him. But I, I didn't see a guy who looks like he's committed to Chicago. And like, I, I guess I don't really know what I saw, but if we're trying to piece things together of his quote about his disappointment, not going to the Rangers and the way that he played last night, the way that he looks, I, I got to imagine he's the decision that he's going to make is please move me, please trade me end up somewhere on a contender. I just, I don't think that that contender can be the Toronto Maple Leafs. I don't think that they have enough bullets to give up to acquire a guy like that. I don't think that they have the salary 
Maybe Myrtle in a second can tell me I'm wrong because he actually knows about the cap. I read his latest article and I'm like, oh my God, how does this guy know these things? Him and Blake Murphy, like you guys got to get outside. Um, I just, I don't see it. I don't see any reality. I don't see any scenario. It's completely dead idea to me. James Myrtle, senior managing editor at The Athletic, someone who just had to listen to me rant for like two or three minutes. Uh, good morning. How's it going, buddy? I think it was like four or something, to be honest with you. So It, it was? It was more than two or three minutes. I, I got the. I can look at the clock on my phone if you want. Mm, no, it's, I blame Austin. I told you nine ten, so I said, you know, there's two minutes. Like that's Austin's fault. You know, that's and that's your fault. You could have said, hey, call me back if he's not done ranting. I don't want to hear it. Oh, I didn't. Know, um, I didn't know that was an option. No, next yeah. time I'll do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. it's an option. Uh, okay, so what do you think about my cane thought? Because yeah, I. I got to tell you, but going into last night's game, I had some dreams about it. I wondered if I, I basically pitched a theory of, hey, what if Kane only really wants Toronto and Davidson wants to do right by him and Toronto really doesn't have to give up very many assets. They just have to make it work. They just decide to completely um, give way to the player. Uh, sort of, but not quite like the Kyle Lowry trade for Toronto where they like really helped him get to Miami. But, yeah, again, Miami actually had to give up an asset for him in Precious Achua. I, I just saw something last night where, I, barring free, I like free, we retain all salary. It's a no for me. He did not look very good, yeah. You know, and, you know, a lot of people are pointing to him being disinterested. I didn't think he was skating very well, to be honest. Same. Like, he just, he looks like a guy that looks like a guy in, in beer league that's got really stiff hips like myself. So like, he just wasn't, he wasn't bending. He wasn't, he wasn't pushing. He wasn't, you know, he's never been like a, a speedster, like a guy that's really going to burn a whole bunch of people. And I don't know. It kind of reminds me, it, it's, it sucks when this happens to guys who are like, he's going to be a hall of famer. He's won three Stanley cups. He's been at just one of the best players of this generation. And it just looks like it's not there anymore. It kind of reminds me of, you know, almost like the Joe Thornton situation, except Patrick Kane's not, 42 years old the way Thornton was when he came here so you know I think that I think the scenario you're laying out is maybe the only way that it makes sense where if Kane says to Chicago I only want to go to Toronto you know it's close to home for him in Buffalo he's he's friends with with Austin Matthews they've got the same trainer they use in the offseason I know that they you know and he's a player that Matthews has looked up to since basically since Matthews was a kid there's a scenario where maybe Kane says to Chicago you know this is the only place I want to go and Toronto lowballs the Blackhawks, and they figure, well, we might as well get something. I mean, that, that's probably the only way. And, and assuming that the Leafs strike out on any other forward upgrades that that they can find elsewhere around the league, that's, that's those are probably that's probably the only scenario where I think it makes sense right now. Yeah, that's it. That's where I'm at too. And you're right. He wasn't a speed demon, but he didn't like all those ways that you used to describe him is exactly how I felt. Stiff, uh, disinterested at times. It just looks like he's lost his quick twitch. Like, that the quickness is gone from Patrick Kane's game. The explosiveness is gone from his game. And I, I don't even feel, like, the need to apologize about in terms of, like, looking back on his career. Everybody knows, like, he's a Hall of Famer. Yes, he's the arguably the greatest American-born player ever. If Guys age. Guys age out. And he might end up, you know, McKee was saying, hey, maybe he ends up on Boston and you regret this and he scores a big goal. And I was like, yeah, even if he does end up on another team and they have success – with him, like he finds something, I'll stand by this take because it sort of reminds me a little bit of the Taylor Hall thing, same but different, where that that's just not what they need. On a team that has limited assets, and, and I want to go through your piece in a, in a second here, but that only has so many bullets and only has so much cap space. Like, 
I'm not convinced that a, a one-dimensional potentially guy who can get the puck on the net and finish is it, like that's what they need. Well, and if you don't feel good about playing him in the top six, which I don't think that I would, then there's they, like the Leafs don't really have a sheltered scoring line in their bottom six. Like you know, if you had a third line that was kind of like a skill, you know, secondary scoring kind of group, but who are you gonna, you're going to play him with Pontus Holmberg or something? Like I, you know, where is he going to going to go? So. Those were my thoughts watching the game. I mean, a, a couple of weeks ago, you would ask me, I'm like, yeah, maybe, you know, like if yes, they don't get, you know, if they miss on a couple of other options, you know, you do like a double retention or something, you know, you, you probably maybe don't have to give up the first round pick, you know, maybe there's a world where it makes sense. But, you know, I'm I, even with Taylor Hall, like, I mean, Taylor Hall, I think he could play down your lineup. I mean, he's just younger and has a little bit more, you know, if 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 they would have acquired Taylor Hall instead of Nick Foligno a couple of years ago, and I know we're probably <laughs> everyone's tired of talking about about that trade deadline. I mean, I think that he would have been fine on your third line. Patrick Kane, I don't know. I mean, all the defensive yeah. metrics for Kane right now are are, are brutal. So, um, and I don't know. It's it's a tough situation, you know. And the the only thing weighing, I think, in the favor of the Leafs potentially getting him is you look at what's available at the trade deadline, and like it is thin. Like it, there is there is not much there. Like when the the number two winger on the block is Ivan Barbashev, you know it's it's tough. So you know the the Leafs needing that upgrade at second line left wing and that, and a lot of fans clamoring for that. I don't, there's not really a lot out there. So you know it just could be a situation where the Leafs can't get what they want. No, I I think that is the situation. Um, I just like this will be sort of the next thing was that that Chicago team. Everybody's available. Like you can get anybody on that team essentially. And yeah, the the only guy that sort of semi popped for me was Sam Lefferty. And mm-hmm. I'm not exactly overly excited about the player. And he stood out more again as a guy who's trying on a team full of guys who are not trying. But yeah, he's got as many goals as Patrick Kane this season. A couple of fewer games. And I just thought, hey, at least that might be, I, I don't like using the word like the scraps because I don't mean he's a scrap. But yeah, the picking the scraps, picking the carcass of the Chicago Blackhawks. Was there anything on that team like McCabe, him, uh, like anything that actually interested you of, in, in any way, moved the needle for you in any way? Yeah, it moved the needle in the wrong way for me. I mean, Jake McCabe looked yeah, like a guy it. who was like, I do not want to play for the Leafs. You know, that was, that. What do you, what's the opposite of an audition? What's, what's like purposely blowing on it? That's yeah, kind of what tank, Jake, Well, you can tank an audition. You can tank an audition. Yeah. That's what he did. I mean, there's been some talk about, you know, he's got a no trade clause and most of the no trade clause on it is Canadian teams, but the Leafs aren't one of them. And But there's just been suggestions that he doesn't want to come to and play for a Canadian team. And I don't know, it kind of... Something maybe there was something wrong with one of his skates or something, but he fell over a couple of times. He just I don't know. He didn't he didn't look like a guy that's like an upgrade over what the Leafs have on the back end right now. No. Um, last thing that's Chicago related. Okay, I need to do this with you because <laughs> I need to do this with you because I just I can't stop thinking about it. It's like okay, this is uh this is a bit of a winding one. So follow me here. Um, Dubas gives that contract to Mrazek, and pretty much everybody hammers him for it out of the gate. Like, either people were surprised and said, let's see this thing play out, or not. Now there's this, like, weird Leafs fan revisionist history, and I think, like, the, you know, the they're coined the Dubasites, the online following that he has of people who, like, refuse to acknowledge that he's ever, like, made a mistake or that he's just completely snake bit and that he's this, you know, infallible general manager who has never made a mistake. And it happened yesterday when I was looking at it. 
But, okay, Chicago bails him out by taking on the Morazic contract. And, you know, you tweeted at us about how he should get, you know, executive of the year, Davidson, for getting the, like, human cigar of a... Uh, yeah, uh, the of just yeah tanking the the key piece to a tank is having Peter Mrazek. Like he was just dreadful last night. Um, I don't want to look back on like Toronto giving him that contract or whatever, but yeah, what what do you think this team is with him now? Like, what is there a real effect? Because Matt Murray's not playing for them, and they sort of use that money for Matt Murray. People have pointed towards the record of the two guys when they were with the Leafs. Murray's obviously better. Um, I just I wonder what you think that like happens if Chicago doesn't bail out Toronto and ask for mm. I think a decent asset, but not like a crazy asset in return to get out of the Morazic contract. Oh, I can't remember what the buyout was, but I think that was something that was on the table for Morazic. They could have looked at they could have looked at that. You know, maybe you buy him out and you use the the money there instead of getting a goalie that's as as expensive as Murray and you sign someone else. Maybe you sign an Eric Comrie or you know one of the other guys that was available and you just go really cheap in goal. I mean, I think that was another option for them. I guess they could have run Morazic back, but I mean, I I don't know what his save percentage ended up at last night but he was 885 going into and he looked like a goalie that's an 885 save percentage last night so like he's a guy that you know the injuries have added up for him he's had good seasons in the past but he's just not that guy that he was when he was starting for you know he started for Detroit in the playoffs I I mean what was that you got to go back to when Detroit was in the playoffs so you're going back a a a while ago that's 2018 maybe 2017 it's like yeah yeah, you gotta it's a it's a while ago that that he was effective Uh but I, I don't, you know, and there were, there was talk that, you know, like you're not a fit in the dressing room and stuff like that. Like, I think that they, they were getting rid of Mrazek one way or the other. Like he wasn't going to come back. Like that just wasn't going to, that wasn't going to be an option for them. So, you know, whether it was, and, and there were talks of disappearing him to Chicago that went, they, they, that went on for months and months and months, those conversations. So that was always going to be the, I think the exit plan. So, um, you know, I, I think the way that it ended up, the Leafs didn't, actually give up that much to get rid of him. I mean, it should have been a lot more painful than it was. Mm-hmm. No, they didn't give up that much to get rid of him, but I, I do think that that has made a weird revisionist history with Morazic of, like, it's something Dubas is celebrated for. I mean, it was a it was a good way to get out of it, I guess. I mean, it, it's like... But it's still cost you know, an like, asset. Like, it was yeah, a no, year was, of opportunity I mean, cost for a no, really bad goalie that killed yeah. them, who had a 888 no. save with Toronto over 20 games, and then they had to move back in the draft and, and like, hey. trade out of the first round. And people look at it, and they're like, wow, what a move by Dubas. And I'm like, why why do we look at it this way? Like, it's just, just a weird framing of it. I mean, I think if you're ranking the worst moves that Dubas has made as GM of the Leafs, I think the Mrazek signing is like like that's way up the list, right? Like it's mm-hmm. part. I think part of it is you know, especially if you're talking about kind of like the analytics people, they view goaltending as like I mean, who knows, right? Like Mrazek had yeah. uh, when they signed him, you looked at his whatever advanced goalie numbers, and they were way up there, and that's probably that's what they were looking at. They were looking at some sort of equation or something when they signed him, and they thought that that's what he was yes. going to be. So. Um, but I think that I think that I think they scrapped whatever goalie equation they were using that told them to go into last season with Jack Campbell and Peter Morazic as their goalies because they they lived through that experience last year and you know there's there's some belief in the front office that that goaltending is uh, you know a, a big part of what went what went wrong for them last year so um, 
I, I don't think there should be re- revision. Revi- man, I can't talk today. So I don't think there should be revisionist history there. Like I think that, I mean, is that his worst move? It's either that or, or the Nick Foligno trade, where you give up three draft picks for a guy I that's stand hurt. By the Foligno trade, though, I I don't I don't know how hurt he was still, when they got he, him. Well, I mean, there's revisionist history there. I mean, like. Yeah. No, no, but I just think about something like I go when I look at the Felino trade, I just think of the division they were in, you know, and the fact that they were in the North yeah. Division and there was but it get was a basically maker then, right? Like like add something sure. that's going to, you know. I think he was a difference maker and then he got hurt. Like I think if Felino is healthy, he was exactly what that team needed. Mm-hmm. And he just he got hurt. And the timing of that injury, I think, is the thing that we can quibble with and we can look back on and say, like, what the hell? Like, from a value standpoint, you're absolutely right. Like, in terms of what they got for what they gave up, it's, it's genuinely insane. There's no and, – and we do have to play the results. Like, people say that stuff all the time. They go, you play, uh, you're just playing the results. Or this is, and I'm like, yeah, okay. Or that's hindsight. And it's like, yep, but that's how we judge these things in sports. I just – at the time, I remember watching that Leafs team and thinking a guy like Felino was what they needed that they were looking for that killer instinct. They were looking for a guy that had the pedigree, the guy that, yeah, just fit their room perfectly, that was desperate to be a Toronto Maple Leaf and that still had something left in the tank. I thought he had it. It's just the back went. And when did the back go? Because if their medical screwed it up, then that's a huge, huge, huge faux pas that they kind of tried to overlook it and went, oh, you know, because if you're going to give up that many assets, you you cannot be trading for damaged goods. Like, frankly, period, no matter what. He was hurt when they got him, right? I mean, like, there was lots of, you know, they went through, like, the medicals and all that stuff. So I I just, I don't know what, I don't know all the particulars of, but I just remember, like, the talk was like, oh, they got him, and then, like, he didn't join the team immediately, and there was, like, he's, you know, he's still... He's he's still sorting some things out and and still recovering. So, you know what um, though? Then that then that is the worst mistake. Um, especially considering we actually had the behind the scenes look at that. Remember? And Dubis is in the room. He's like, "Okay, more picks. You got it." <laughs> you know? And he's like, "We got him." You're well, like, and they they really tried to keep him too. I mean, like they tried to extend yeah. him. You know, it was only when Boston I don't came think in they with, did. The, with with. I, with I've talked big... to Nick about it. He said that he got lowballed to an ex- insane degree. Like there was mm-hmm. no way that he was going back on that deal. Like that's from Felino's like ears or from well, his. Lips it wasn't to... nothing though. Like I mean, it was lowballed compared to how much Boston gave him. But like it was, I don't know. I was surprised that Toronto was that aggressive in trying to keep him. Yeah, um, I think they liked the person uh, more than who was as the the player. Unfortunately, at the time, because the person really is great. Um, okay, so yeah, those are. I don't know. I'm trying. I gotta make make a list. I think that there's more. I gotta tell you, if I'm being dead honest, I think that there is like more bad than like great. <laughs> like I don't. I don't know if I would make the move like the list of wow, this this was great for Dubis versus this was uh, really bad for Dubis. Which one of those columns I'd come like? I, I'm struggling to think about like what was essentially great. Um, anyway, uh, that'll be a referendum for another day. Okay, so heading into the deadline, you wrote this piece. It's up on the Athletic right now. Um, it's basically breaking down different scenarios, um, how the Maple Leafs can find a way to make a blockbuster deadline trade. Um, you said it. There's not a lot out there, but there is one scenario you have in the piece that's basically sort of perfect, except for you have Jake McCabe, who you basically just kind of scratched out of there. Um, maybe we replace Jake McCabe with Gavrikov, right, and like try to do that one. But, yeah, the the home run to you. Let's just start with that. The home run to you at this point today, because I think it can change because it's changed week to week. But today, what is the home run to you for the Toronto Maple Leafs? I mean, I think at this point, if Timo Meyer is any kind of a 
if, if that's doable at all. I, I can see why the Leafs are looking at that just with what else is available. You know, you get Hor- Horvat's off the table. Tarasenko's gone. You've got New Jersey and Carolina that really want Meyer, and I think that's why it's going to make it really difficult for the Leafs to get in there. But the home run for the Leafs is you find some sort of uh, an upgrade on defense, even if it's you know down the lineup a little bit, and you you get someone who can produce offense up front. You know, you get someone who's an, who's better than a, a Sam Lafferty, who could potentially. I, I mean, I, I kind of like Ryan O'Reilly because he can play third line center or he can play on the on the wing. But again, he's a guy who's older, who hasn't had a very good season, who's hurt. You know, he's come back. He scored. I think he scored goals in both the games since he came back from the foot injury. So, you know, his audition so far actually looks pretty good. Um, but I, I would be looking at Timo Meyer and seeing if you can get in that sweepstakes. And I would be looking at Ryan O'Reilly. And on defense, I mean, if McCabe's not an option, you know, the, the, the tough thing I have with Gavrikov is I think his, his extension, like getting him on another contract, it's going to be just, it's going to be one you might regret. But, you know, he, he's, he's the best option if you want that upgrade on defense right now. Hmm. So that's important to you then, the, like a, an extension, like getting a guy. You can't well, trade for two rentals essentially. No. I mean, you're going to, like, if you're getting Timo Meyer and Gavrikov, you're giving up multiple first round picks. So, like, you're definitely all in. So, but I think Gavrikov, I, you know, he, an extension for him is going to be like five by five or something like that. Like, he's going to be a, a guy that has to contribute in your top four. And, you know, I, and I know he's a guy I was hyping three or four weeks ago on the show, but, you know, I think that it only makes sense if you're giving up a first round pick. I, I don't think that that's the wrong hill to die on for the Leafs. I think that you want it, someone that has some term. So, you know, the Leafs would have to be given permission to to talk to Gavrikov and figure out what the extension is and then figure out if you can live with the number. I mean, it it seems pretty clear what Justin Hall is going to be a UFA. I mean, the Leafs are probably going to be searching for a defenseman in the offseason anyway. So do you just begin that search now and see if you can find someone that can come in now and, you know, it solves the problem you're going to have in the summer anyway? I think that this is one of the weirdest things that we do um, is like Dubas is like, yeah, we'd like someone with term if we're going to give up an asset like this. And it's like, yeah, of course, of course you would. Here's the problem. That's harder to accomplish. Like that's really, really hard to do. Um, I don't know if that's what the market is going to be this year. Again, the Leafs have put themselves in a tough position where they only really have that first in Matthew Nyes. Like that's part of this too, is that they don't have other pieces that are attractive to anybody else. They don't have their second. They don't have depth in their prospect pool. Um, I'm not really sure what the hell they're supposed to do then if they're going to upgrade here. Like that's the confusing thing about this deadline. Like we can all say Timo Meyer, but if you're moving in on Timo Meyer, you're giving up like basically the only assets that you have. And you give up yeah. those assets, and it's like, well, there's still going to be a team next year. Like, they're still going to play hockey. You better win because you go into that one. And, like, do you really want to be trying to pretend like Nick Robertson is some kind of a desirable piece around the league next year when he gets put at the top of their prospect rankings? Or that Topi Niemela is all of a sudden going to be like, hey, he's having a year where people are just really saying he's breaking out. I-, I think that Toronto is in, like, a really, really tough spot heading into this deadline. We all recognize it. It's like when we, we keep doing this debate, of like, should they add a forward or they should add defense? The answer is they should absolutely be trying to add both. The problem is they only have pieces to really add one. Unless, unless you're moving picks from like down the road, right? Like, and I don't think that they're going to do that. Well, I mean, that's what they've got. That's that, you know, if you're, if we're talking and you know, with where the core is at and, and everything, I mean, shouldn't you, 
You know, there's been the talk about Edmonton. Like, shouldn't they be trading first-round picks for down the road? I mean, who cares about a... How how long until the Leafs' 2024 first-round pick is in the lineup contributing? I mean, it took six years for Lilgren to be anything, and, you know, he was the 17th overall guy, and that's probably the window that you're looking at. So, you know, you trade the 2024 pick. I mean, the good thing about Meyer is that he's a guy that, again, potentially you're talking extension with him, and he's the guy that you're keeping around. Now, I, I mean, making the cap work with him and everybody else is basically impossible. Basically impossible. Like, you're going to have to trade a, a key piece, and... The other complication, too, is that Meyer's going to want a no-move clause. So, you know, if you're trading for him, if you're, you're trading for him and you're extending him, he's not going anywhere. You know, it's going to be like the Bo Horvat situation. Like, he's going to be locked in on your lineup for a long period of time, which is fine because he's a great player and he's not that old, but it just means that someone else is going to have to go. As of today, I think that the ideal deadline for them is you try and get Ryan O'Reilly because yeah they just they they need they need something to round out their bottom six better like i'm i'm watching this again last night where yeah like toronto's bottom six is so so dreadful you look at the scoring that they're providing this year it's awful and like even right yeah. now when you get the kerfoot up in the top six thing that ends up keep happening and you go is this really you know you're that move away from having alex kerfoot up there who has some of the worst finishing skills of like any guy who's played this amount of minutes for a franchise like that i've ever seen um no that that can't happen again you've got to insulate yourself better against that i like the idea that you get ryan o'reilly i think that they are more desperate to get scoring but also that that's where they're going to have to take the shot and not get the gavrikov that's where their pro scouting is going to have to be good, and they're going to have to try to bring in some defenseman that gives them a little bit of mean and that they've done in the past, whether it's been uh, them going all the way back to Polak or uh, who's the – what was the Russian Bears name last year? I'm already forgetting that's on the Sabres now. Oh, Labushkin, yeah. Labushkin. Like, yeah, you got to go get somebody with a little bit of snarl who can kill a penalty for you that gives you a little bit of insurance on the young guys that you have. But that's the area I think that you can go cheaper on, that you, you don't pay the excess premium for the Gavrikovs and you don't pay the excess premium yeah. for the McCabe's. Maybe. You, just, you can't afford both. But, but, like, you know, which of your defensemen is that, that defenseman an upgrade over, right? Like, I mean... I uh, Timmons looked pretty good last night, but again, I mean, it's against Chicago. You so <laughs> no, you can't play him in the playoffs, James. Um, flat, flat out, Toronto right now has a blue line that I'm convinced is excellent for the regular season, especially given like the the composition of the team and how much talent they have up top. But if you're talking about like, like, did you did you see what Tam- Tampa lost last night? By the way, they lost. They outshot uh, Arizona 47 to 20 something. I want to say. Um, I threw it on just after. This is like on a back-to-back. That Tampa team is – like this has been a weird thing. Everyone's been so focused on how they're facing Tampa, they're facing Tampa, they're facing Tampa. Now all of a sudden like it's kind of an interesting race for who's going to end up with home ice advantage. And if you're a believer in home ice at all, like if you think it's worth 1%, well, in a series that people said was a coin toss last year, then you should kind of be interested in Toronto getting home ice. But that Tampa team is nasty. Like they are really good. And I was talking about this with Dude, I was talking about this with McKee off air. They are better than they were last year. Everyone keeps expecting them to sort of age out and that they're going to get hit with the cap and that some of their guys, they're a better hockey team than they were last year. And maybe it's just like they're more engaged at this point of the season than they were, but go through their lineup and tell me who's worse on their team and tell me who's been better on their team and go through it with a marker. And it's like Tampa is better. If you think Connor Timmons and Rasmus Sandin, who were a pairing last night, that you feel good about them going back to have a puck retrieval as Tampa's sending in 
the Braden Points and the Sorellis and the Maroons of the world. Like, no, that's not like that's not a viable option. You look at, I mean, part of why they're better is some of the, like the guys they brought in, like Hagel, are just more comfortable and more integrated yep. into their lineup and look re- like he 100%. looks really, really good. You can see why the Leafs wanted him in whatever blockbuster they were talking about with Chicago at the deadline last year because. You know, and that's the kind of genius move that the Lightning are becoming known for, where you you get someone with a cheap contract at the deadline, and yeah, you give up a ton. I mean, didn't they give up two first-round picks? But you get someone who's cost-controlled, who's really blossoming into a really, really good player. And their forward depth is better. They've been better on the spe- on special teams, and they're better in goal. So, you know, the the Lightning had a really slow start there, and part of that was, you know, Hedman had a slow start this year. Vasilevsky had a bit of a slow start this year, but they're dialed in right now. Like, Sorelli was hurt. Yeah, like, you know, I've got Vasilevsky in my pool. I've watched a lot of the Lightning this year, and you can just see them ramping up. Like, they're going to be ready to go. And I don't think, like, this potential, they're one of the teams that could win this year. You know, everyone's talking about Boston, and they should be, and New Jersey and Carolina and everything. But, you know, if the Lightning get through Toronto, I mean, they got an opportunity to knock off Boston, and then is anyone betting against them? Mm-hmm. I just, I think people forget that, point was hurt against the Leafs. Um, yeah. yeah, that Hagel was not comfortable against the Leafs. I think Ross Colton has gotten much better as a player, um, and he's now like uh, a real, uh, like fully forming piece for them that I don't think was quite the same guy against Toronto last year. And yeah, you're looking at a team that looks like they're still going to be trying to add a piece or two at the deadline as well. I just... Like that, that's part of the problem I have with the Leafs at the deadline and with the all in thinking, anyways. Is I'm like, yeah, I would be all in if I thought that there was a way to round out this lineup in a way that made you clear cut favorites against Tampa. I'm just, I'm not convinced that is the case. Like, I think that you put your as many eggs as you can into the Ryan O'Reilly basket that are, you know, within a real, a realistic asking price, right? You're not doing a Matthew Nizer, maybe, I think maybe you're doing your first, even though he is, you know, coming to you for a short period of time. And then you're trying to figure it out down the line. I just, I don't see the pieces out there that make Toronto uh, equal to that team. Um, or if they make them equal to them, it's like, mm, not, yeah, I'm sorry. I can't trust Ilya Samsonov or Matt Murray in a playoff series the way that I can Andre Vasilevsky. There's just, there's not enough to tip the scales to me. Yeah. Part of me wonders with the O'Reilly thing. I wonder if there's like a Giordano type of situation with him. Like he's, you know, he's a low, another local Smart guy. I mean, maybe, maybe there's a conversation yeah. there. It's like, do you want to stay here beyond there? And what does that look like? And, you know, if he wants to come in at 33 years old as your third line center and make, I don't know, what's the number that makes sense? Three million or something? Like all of a sudden, you say, feel he better. He has to take four or less. Yeah, I was thinking three something. Like he takes a big haircut, right? Because you know, and then you give him a little bit of term, and he comes home, and it's all of a sudden, you know, it's people are down on O'Reilly. He's had a bad season. The Blues have had a had a dreadful season. It's just been really tough for them. But last year he was good. He was. I think he was he a was he a Selkie finalist? I think he was, or he was. It's certainly up there among them. I mean, he's a good player. He's not that far removed from winning a cup. He's a guy that's extremely good defensively so that even if he's not producing offense, he's giving you something else. Uh, I think he'd bring a lot to the Leafs dressing room. So, you know, if there's, if there's any talk of an extension and I mean, you know, you look back last year at the deadline and they get Giordano and people are like, Oh, you know, he's old and he's a rental and whatever. I mean, like look at the contract he signed and look at the value he's given them this year. I mean, it's that, that trade has been a win for that reason. So, you know, potentially I could see, getting O'Reilly being a home run if he's someone that you're going to have for a while. 
They they need some punch in the bottom six. They just do. They need a different look. I think I, maybe you disagree with me. I think Holmberg is at a wall. Well, I mean, it's a lot to ask him to keep doing what he was doing. I mean, he was he was a revelation there in the first whatever ten odd games. But I mean, Holmberg's a guy that I mean, he wasn't even producing offense in the Swedish league until like he, I think it was yeah. just last year is the only year. Like he he kind of came out of nowhere and like credit to the Leaf Swedish scouts, but. You know, he's not someone that was on the radar of very many people and had a really good year last year. And then, but yeah, I mean, the the, the NHL schedule is way more difficult than what anything he would have seen in the past. So it makes sense that he's going to fall off, especially, I mean, look at who he's playing with too. It's not like he's getting a lot of help down there. A hundred percent. I'm not saying this to be like critical of him. I'm saying this to be like a um, month ago, a lot of us were looking at this and going, boy, this guy might be an X factor for them in the bottom six. And now I think time has, for all those reasons that you just outlined, it's kind of brought a lot of us to a place where you go, you're going to really lean this season on a bottom six that has Pierre Engvall as the number one like scoring threat in it as the only guy that every once in a while pops one in. But despite that, he's like, again, a guy who 17 playoff games, zero playoff goals, um, someone who does not engage in the physical stuff that the playoffs tend to be more physical. Um, I think they need a punch. Uh, To me, like all they're hoping for is add a guy like Ryan O'Reilly, hope that you can drop someone like Matthew Nyes into your lineup down the stretch and see what he is to you and hope just cross your fingers and hope that he can provide an impact with someone like Ryan O'Reilly in the bottom six. Maybe you're a little bit more of a sheltered offensive lineup. Um, maybe he's kind of, you know, the 13th forward, whatever the hell, but you're just hoping, 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 hoping that he can make an impact, that he can be a somebody, but you're not counting on it. Um, and that's it. Like, that's kind of what you're doing. Like, that's the only thing that you really can do. But yeah, the, the one thing I know with all certainty at this point is you can't roll into the playoffs with David Camp, Pierre Engvall, Pontus Holmberg, and then like down the stretch trying to find out if Alex Steves can give you a spark and think that that's enough. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's I, that should be one of the number one concerns is you get into a playoff series and you're just outmatched in depth. I mean, I think they were last year, but it feels even worse this year, doesn't it? And like, yeah, it does. It, it's it, there's a possibility they go in a playoff series and they just get absolutely no offense at all from the bottom six right now, and that's why. I mean, if you're not bringing in a Meyer or an O'Reilly, then you're probably looking at. That's why all of a sudden the Lafferty's and Barbashev and like you're you're probably maybe you're trying to cobble together a couple of these guys and just mm-hmm. completely change the composition. But it's the the tough thing, and I come right back full circle to where we were at the top is like there's just not a lot available. Like this is a bad deadline. The initial trade deadline is bad in general. Like I mean, this could be a rant that we could go on for ten minutes, but like there's just there's too many long term contracts. The cap is too tight. It's hard to make trades right now, and there's just not a lot available. So, you know, you get into situations like last year where Ben Sherratt's, you're giving up first-round picks and teams are, are desperate to try and make a splash. And it's a time when there's a lot of mistakes made, especially for guys that aren't even going to be impact players. So it, it's it's awfully tough. And it's not going to shock me if the Leafs don't do that much of the deadline, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's the... I, I th- like again. I think that they're in a really tough position. It's one that they've put themselves in. I don't feel sympathy for them. 
there isn't a lot there, but yeah, uh, I, I'm with you. I could definitely see this being sort of a nothing. It feels like, yeah, they want to take that swing, that they're not afraid of going all in, but the pieces that are there don't really make sense for that. And then, yeah, they might just end up getting priced out of the Ryan O'Reilly's of the world. Like, it's not only Toronto that thinks that a former, yeah, like a Selkie caliber type of guy who has won a Conn Smythe, who scores 20 goals a year and is big, and yeah. Uh, yeah Someone's going to pay a lot for him. help out their yeah. team. Yeah, yeah, like you're yeah, not getting him exactly. for a second round pick or whatever. Like it's just, it's, no. it's, he's not going to be a bargain. No, that's it. He's going to come at a, a real price, and that's that brings me to the final thing of today. Um, how open are you to the idea of trading Rasmus Sandin? Because to me, like I, I asked Ellie about it yesterday, he said that if Toronto traded him, it would be for a lot, um, which is fine. Like, but it didn't seem like he's available to me. I, I don't know why he's not Toronto's number one trade piece. Like, that's not the guy that you're putting out there to the league and saying, what would you give us for this? Because, yeah, you said it. There's uh, some question marks at the blue line moving forward, but I don't really see him as the guy that's helping them this year. And he's got a bit of a redundant skill set that it seems like you can replace with guys like Connor Timmins, who you just signed to a bit of an extension as well. Like, you do have some certainty with that type of player. Uh, to me, that that's the most obvious move for Toronto is... Call, tell the rest of the league that Rasmus Sandin's available. See what you can get. And if whether it's assets that you can recoup and use in other deals or whether it's for one of those guys that actually impacts your playoff roster, I'm, I'm doing one of those two things. Yeah, and I, I mean, he's a guy that when the contract dispute was going on, it was seeming more and more likely that he was going to end up on the trade block, you know, really earlier in the season. So it wouldn't shock me. You know, it wouldn't shock me. If, but I, I think that if he's moving, though, it's it's going to be – it's going to be like the Leafs being a late entry in the Timo Meyer sweepstakes or something that that would get him on the table. Like it's going to be, it would be for a really significant player. I think it's the only way that they do that. It's easy to look at the blue line and say he's redundant and et cetera, et cetera. But as soon as you have one injury, all of a sudden it's, you know, we could really use another guy back there. So that, I mean, and the other thing too is he's cheap, and he's still young. Yep. And if you're moving for on from him, year. yeah. If you're moving on, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I don't know that if he's going to be a long-term piece on this team, but if you're moving on from him, you want it to be something that, that makes an impact that's not a rental player, that's something that you feel like makes you better. So, you know, if you're including him in a trade that, you know, with the limited assets, uh, it, it goes back to what you were saying about how how little the Leafs have to give up. That would be part of why Sandine would, would come into the conversation because he's something that you have that you could potentially give up and it's not going to hurt you that much this year. To me, they have three guy, four guys, sorry, that are like real pieces on their blue line. Like moving forward, I don't think he's one of them. I don't know if he plays in the playoffs, and if that's the case, he's 22 years old, and I'm going. I don't know. This it actually. I'll, I'll be honest. To me, it actually feels like he's the type of guy you'd rather move off right now for some of the reasons that you outlined, where you go, hey, he's still only 22 years old, and he's got this year plus next year. He's cheap. He's young. There might be a lot more there. You could potentially play him on your power play. Like, he's not going to play on Toronto's power play. That's not going to happen. Not on their power play one. He's not jumping over Morgan Riley. It's not going to happen. And now, even on his own team, you could probably make a stronger case for two other guys over him. Um, he might not play for you on your playoff lineup. Like, are you really keeping him for depth? Like, what is he next year? Like, do you think that he can take an appreciable jump? Or is his value decline, diminish, and then you're not really sure what kind of a contract extension he's going to get? Again, like, just to me, this is the perfect time to move him. 
I, I really believe that. I think it's like a, maybe one of my like core strong beliefs right now. I'd rather keep somebody like Nyes. If you're telling me which of these two guys are you really trying to keep, I'm trying to keep the forward that's six foot three that might end up being a somebody for you over the next couple of years on a cheap contract rather than the guy that only has one year left and always seems to leave something to be desired. If he ends up biting you in the ass, great. But yeah, I'm just doing one type of trade, one way or the other, putting him in that deal as a premier piece or trading them for pieces that are more attractive to somebody else or easier to move for somebody else. But like this, this to me is like you have to – I shouldn't say you have to. I, I think that he's the guy that is the chip for them to move. That's the chip for them to use. You talk to teams around the league and they look at the Leafs and they're like, you can't, you can't have a top four that's got Riley, Sandine, and Lilgren all in it. Like it's just – that's not going to work, you know. I mean, they've tried things like that before. They tried, you know, a Tyson Berry experiment that failed. You know, you need some other elements on the back end. And this goes back to the what we were talking about with Gabrikov. It's they're going to be searching for that in the off season. You know, they're going to be searching for to make a change on the blue line, and they're not going to have. You know, next year they're not going to have Sandine, Lilgren, and, and Riley all in the the top four. And the obvious odd man out for who's going to be playing on your third pair is Sandine. And if he's on your third pair, then how much of a core piece is he? So, you know, exactly. I agree with you. I just, I only move him if, if I'm getting something back that appreciably helps you beyond this season. James, uh, again, people should follow you, especially around this time and read your work because I think you, like, I don't even know who else understands the cap. Like, you do the Pridham thing, I start looking at it, I'm like, thank God you're here to do this because <laughs> I have no idea. But, yeah, all right, double retention. That was the thing I remembered yesterday from uh, rewriting it, or, sorry, rereading it. Uh, thanks for coming on today, buddy. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, cheers. See you, pal. Um, yeah, I think that James is pretty much the only guy that has a – full understanding that's mainstream at least i'm sure there are people out there there are some twitter accounts that are good at this stuff too but yeah it's it's the position they're in is a team that's up against the cap that has a limited amount of assets that has multiple holes to fill in a market that is not flush with a ton of talent it's it's not easy it's just not easy for this group and it's why i'm against the all-in idea is the all-in idea to me is just it's far too reckless to try and add Jake McCabe and Ryan O'Reilly at the expense of all of your future and then roll into next year with similar problems. People keep going, okay, well, you only have so many years left of these guys. You only got one more year left after this one of Austin Matthews, William Nealon, or cool. I'll walk into that one with some of the assets I have. I'll walk into the offseason with some of those assets I have knowing, hey, maybe Boston isn't as good. Maybe Bergeron does retire. Things do open up. Maybe you finish first, actually, next year in your division. Like, this this does not – maybe I'll change it as I get closer to the deadline, whatever. But this just doesn't feel like an all-in year for me. Leafs might be a little better. They might be a little worse. I can't really tell on any given night. There is not those no-doubt-about-it, no-brainer pieces to me. I like the idea of getting Ryan O'Reilly, but yeah. Are you extending him? Does he want to be here? Are you giving up a first-round pick? What happens if you get bounced then and you lost another first? Your Another draft comes where you don't have one. There's just a lot of questions. So, yeah, if Kyle Dubas nails this deadline, kudos to him. I think that's an automatic re-signing if he nails the deadline and they go into the postseason with, yeah, uh, 
a better team and one that actually challenges Tampa. But as of right now, as of this very moment, oof, I, I don't see it. I don't see it. Quick break. Let's come back and then uh, Matthew Nye is coming up. Matthew Nye is on the show today. Subscribe and review. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Okay, just a quick Raptors thought before I get to Matthew Nyes and then share some thoughts about yeah him heading into the deadline. So last night, Leafs talk finishes. I flip on my TV. I jump around. I want to watch a bunch of other sports. That's kind of my favorite time as a podcast host and a sports fan is getting to watch the other teams, right? So I throw on the Tampa-Arizona game, which... I had money on Tampa, and again, that's why I know exactly the shot count, 47-26. to 26. They lost in a shootout to Connor Ingram, who was <laughs> nasty. Uh, Tampa couldn't score a power play goal, 0 for 5. Awful. But uh, I missed the Brooklyn Nets game. But I look at it, and I, I watch the highlights. And there's a few different places you can watch really great condensed versions of games. And Mikhail Bridges absolutely goes off uh, just an incredible performance from Bridges last night scores over 40 he's just all over the glass he's playing great defense it's just a bunch of different things um, all of a sudden the Nets are kind of Project 6-9 they're a little bit of what the Raptors were now smaller but it's just a ton of wing players they're like more like Project 6-6 where it's a ton of wing players who can all shoot the basketball and Bridges is really good. Like, he's a really good player. And Toronto fans know this because they saw him cook them with a Phoenix team that really didn't have a lot of depth. He basically single-handedly beat the Raptors. And all it got me thinking of, and it's a very short take, is we've all done this assumption of, like, well, the Raptors, this makes a little bit more sense getting Pirtle. I don't want to belabor a point, but it makes more sense getting Pirtle if you can find your way up into a playoff spot, right? If you can somehow battle up to the six-hole. And the Knicks won last night, and Brooklyn wins last night, and Miami lost, and they're one of the teams that, uh, but yeah, they're playing New York, but they're one of the teams that's above them, and I, I just, I think maybe we wrote off Brooklyn a little bit too soon, given the talent that they have on their team. This was still a group that put themselves in that position, despite all the injuries to Kevin Durant, all the up and down with Ke- with Kyrie Irving, uh, and now they've just added a bunch of pieces, like they have a couple more really good wing players and yeah Cam Cam Johnson's there too uh, they, they're just they're deeper than you realize and it is just going to be tougher for the Raptors to end up with that six hole it, it really does feel to me anyways after thinking about last night it's going to be hard to climb up it's going to be really hard to get out of that plane anyways quick break let's come back let's have a chat with Leafs top prospect Matthew Nice. I think Austin plays this song too much. I gotta, you know, Austin, I gotta get back in on getting heavy handed with you with some of the musical choices. So you're, you're in a rut. You, I took Kanye away from you and <laughs> you don't know what to do. Uh, it's JD Buggers podcast. Subscribe and review. Leave five stars. Um, again, I really do appreciate all the messages that I've gotten from people over the last 48 hours because, yeah, Born and I's conversation from the other day really seems to resonate with a lot of people, and I know a lot of you listen to the podcast a day later, um, but yeah, I really did appreciate it, and it is uh, one of the nicest things about this job 
is that, yeah, you, you do end up connecting with strangers. You do end up connecting with people that, yeah, you never thought you would. So, yeah, I do leave the DMs open on both Twitter and Instagram. Um, so, yeah, if there's something that you would feel like you'd want to share, uh, please do it. Um, I got a chance to speak to Leafs prospect Matthew Nyes, joking with Elliot yesterday about how, yeah, he's doing a little bit more media now all of a sudden. I, it's funny because we were actually planning on having him on weeks in advance, and we've been trying, and then all of a sudden it came through. We went, oh, we're the only ones. And then uh, a couple of other outlets ended up getting a chance to speak with him too. Um, his season ends this month. I'm not a huge college hockey guy, but their team appears to be quite good. You look at what they've done this year, the talent they have, uh, their place in the standings, and yeah, it's pretty clear. Like Minnesota, it, like they're, they're going to be there in the Frozen Four. They're going to continue playing beyond their regular season, which I think ends next week. So probably not a coincidence that he's doing this media stuff right now because it's the last time that he'll ever do media rounds nationally anyways up in Canada, or I shouldn't even say nationally, just Toronto-wise, uh, before he's Maple Leaf. So still talking about his time at the University of Minnesota where he could still focus on it. But yeah, they're 15-4-1. Uh, they've been dominant this year. And it's always weird trying to figure out like what college scoring equates to, but... I do discuss with him having, you know, five game winning goals this year and being now an older player on his team, somebody who did go back. Sorry, they're 15 4 and 1 in their conference. They're 21 8 and 1 overall. They're actually kind of in a dead heat with Michigan right now, like really close. Just Michigan's won seven straight. Congrats to Michigan. That's kind of fun. Um, these two teams, I'll probably want to watch that actually. Those two teams facing each other. That's actually that's pretty fun. That's a good one. It'd be like Ailish, get into U.S. college hockey. It is much better now, the state of it. Anyway, I'm very fascinated by Nyes because there's just a... You'll hear this from tall people, is they tend to get in more fights than shorter people because whenever somebody's at a bar and wants to create a conflict, they kind of look at them and go, oh, I'd like to pick on you, Right. I'd like to test myself against a bigger person. And Nye's coming in as like a kid who's six foot three, who has some scoring touch, um, who is the top prospect. He is just it's it's very strange how much saviorism there is around this player right now. There's just an awful lot of seeming there's a lot of pressure on him. I don't know how aware he is of it when he's an Arizona kid who is playing US college hockey, speaking to him you'll get a chance to kind of hear some of that in terms of whether or not he does listen to noise, but it's always hard to even understand how much a kid does look at their social media presence. or what. Like, he's got, I think, 2,000 Twitter followers. It's not as though the world is aware of him. He's more of still just a dream, an idea. And this is sort of one of the problems in the past, I think, that the Leafs have had, is that the prospects get really overhyped, and it can be really hard entering this pressure chamber of... You've got to be the savior. And on a team that has Austin Matthews and William Nylander and uh, you know Mitch Marner, John Tavares, sure, we spent more time talking about those guys than Matthew Nyes, but Nyes' name comes up a lot. Every trade discussion about the Leafs, his name comes up. Every time we talk about the depth scoring with this team, you've got to sort of reference his name. And that's a lot for a kid who's 20 years old in college hockey right now. 
And I, I mentioned it. You can go through the list of the Chris Criders of the world and the Cole Caulfields that people love to reference in terms of U.S. college players that have come in and provided an impact. But most of those guys, when they did their scoring come postseason time, got a lot of it from the power play. Matthew Nyes is not coming up here and slotting into a premium power play position with the Leafs. You could see some power play two-time. But we know from watching that unit, they don't play very much. And the point I was making about like the big kid with the fight is, kind of got off a little track on that one, is simply he is a big kid. He's six foot three on a team where there aren't a ton of those dudes. There's Matthews, there's Engvall up front. Who else is over 6'3 or 6'3 and up? Is there anybody else? Am I forgetting somebody? I don't think so. Not in the regular rotation. All of a sudden, he's being asked as a 20-year-old to be a little bit more physical, be tough along the boards, get into potentially a series with Tampa where he might be in a leveraged position. It's just it, it's tough to think that that's going to work out. Maybe it does. Again, there's a lot of belief that he's going to be one hell of a player someday. I'm just not really sure if that day is today. And if it's really fair to have the type of pressure that's on him the way it is right now. Even, like, I brought up the Andreas Janssen reference before of how he came into the Bruins series and he really helped Toronto. But that was a guy who was playing in the AHL and was the best player on a Calder Cup winning team. That's adults. That's pro hockey players. That's not U.S. college, despite the U.S. college system being much better now than it used to be. So... Yeah, a lot on Nyes. Very fascinating kid. Student athlete. Playing on a big-time collegiate program this year. Trying to focus on finishing what he started while realizing that, um, yeah, his college days are coming to an end and his time as a professional, as an adult, is rapidly approaching. And that his end of the college season is not time to celebrate and kick back and relax and do what other players from his team are going to be able to do. It's going to be get on a plane and get your ass up to Toronto and get ready to play an even more physical and difficult brand of hockey. And not a little more, like infinitely more. Anyways, uh, I got to speak to Matthew Nyes yesterday. Here's that interview now. Matthew Nyes, Minnesota Gophers forward. Not for too, too much longer, I think. Leafs prospect, um, fresh off the ice. How was practice today, bud? It was pretty good. You know, it was a shorter one after, uh, you know, a weekend now. And um, so it was good to get back on the ice, get some puck touches in. And, um, you know, off we go to Penn State this week. I, I figure maybe they just give you a little bit of an easier practice after Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, all the guys were hanging out, having a good time, and uh, I think that they, um, you know, kind of wanted to just give a, give a little maintenance day. You know, we had we had some guys that were banged up, so just just an easy day. Um, like I said, get on the ice, t- touch the puck a little bit, and um, so yeah, it was, it was a good day so far. Did you have a rooting interest in that game? Like, did you care? Uh, not really. I put I put. Uh, I was I was cheering for Philly, but uh, I mean it didn't really work out for me, so I wasn't the happiest. But <laughs> yeah, you probably weren't too thrilled with that holding call at the end. That was basically uh, today's entire show was breaking that down. Poor Mahomes ends up getting a legacy stealer because of that holding penalty. I'm sure, like you and the fellas uh, that were on the Eagles side of things, were not too pleased. So you're you're in school, 
You're with all your teammates. That's the best time, by the way, to be watching football. Like, it, it never gets better than that moment. Like, being in college, those Super Bowls, that's the best, like, undeniably the best ones. Yeah, no, for sure. It's it's always it's always fun to have, you know, a group of guys that, you know, within the same age, um, always hanging out, always getting to know each other. It's, it's a pretty fun group in there. Everyone's, um, you know, talkative and um, upbeat, so it's, it makes it easy to kind of uh, be a family. So th- this is one thing that I find so fascinating about you, man, and, like, actually it kind of applies to a couple of your teammates as well, right? Like, you go back. And you want to make good in Minnesota. And I know I spoke with you before, you, or like right after you had just made the decision. And yeah, you just, you felt like it was the right choice for you. But you've got this, like you're, you're still in school, right? Like you're still taking classes. You're there as a student athlete. And I, I do wonder how hard it is to balance just life where you're trying to lock in your education, but you've got big money in a pro hockey career that's waiting for you. You've got this big potential move that's going to happen. Your season's wrapping up. Like you're, it's just, it's just a lot going on for a guy your age. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's super overwhelming at times, but you kind of block out all the noise. Um, just kind of live it day by day. Um, you know, kind of just show up with, to the rank with a good attitude and, um, just just take it one one at a time you know it's uh um obviously there's you know future plans for me and um you know taking classes and balancing with hockey now and and life and social life here it's um it could be stressful at times but you know kind of when you um sit back and just get to enjoy it and you know realize that this this is probably some of the best days of your life that um you know you kind of find out that uh it's a little easier than, than it might seem at times and so I kind of, you know, kind of sit back, just take it a day at a time, and it kind of gets a little easy for, easier for me. And, um, you know, especially with the school side of things and, you know, balancing the, the workload of hockey and school, it's, it's, uh, it's challenging. But if I take it slowly, it's, uh, it makes it a little easier for me. Dude, I could barely play intramurals and do school. <laughs> I don't know how you, like, I'd be locked into my real team caring about that, just trying so hard just to balance just going to classes. And, yeah, like, little things like, oh, okay, so there's a drop box that I can get to at 4 a.m. if I get this paper in here before then. Oh, okay, I'll only lose 3%. I didn't have a, a pro hockey career waiting for me. Like, I don't know how you do it. That's actually a real testament to character that you get any schoolwork done at all. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it gets a little easier when you're a student athlete. You know, you you kind of you're on the road a little bit, so you got to miss a ton of work, and um, you know, teachers kind of help you out a little bit. You know, we have uh, tutors always there for us, so it's it almost they almost make it impossible for us to fail. You know, so um, but it's 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 definitely a workload that is uh, you know it's kind of hard to handle at times. But like I said, if I take it a day at a time, like makes it a lot easier on myself, and I know that the guys feel the same way as well. Well, it's also interesting too, right? Because like your season is starting to wrap up, right? Like the I know the regular season ends here in February. And you would think like yeah. kind of being able to look ahead that you would enjoy some time as just the student part, right? Like you'd be looking ahead to going, "Hey, now I kind of get to let loose a little bit, have fun a little bit, and just kind of soak in my last few, you know, like my last semester in Minnesota." But the Toronto thing is looming, and so I wonder, like, how you you focus a little bit on that too, where it's like there's maybe just a little bit of an added, hey, like have a little bit more fun with this because you you are a little bit more certain about the timeline. Yeah, I mean, last year when I was you know kind of going over the decision and I decided to come back, 
you know, I got I got to have my time as a kid and, you know, got to be, you know, a regular college student and got to explore and, and meet different people and, um, you know, kind of just be away from the rink, you know, become my own person, mature, um, you know, and then now once this kind of decision comes up, you know, I think, you know, one year has, has taught me a lot. Um, you know, I think I've, I've grown a lot as, as a player and in person. So I think the decisions are going to be a little bit tougher for me, but um, yeah, I mean, I always, it's, it's kind of, to me, it almost seems like I'm kind of almost wrapping up my childhood if, if I were to make the jump. But, uh, you know, you got to be ready at times. You know, you got to, you know, do what's best for you, um, for your future steps. So, you know, whatever that takes me, that's that's, that's what I'm going to have to do. You know, I can't really, um, you know, wait around here all the time and just, uh, you know, focus on having a good time. You know, I need to make a you know career for myself and make sure I give myself the best chance to, to make it in, in the professional league. So, um it's 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 a hard decision, but you know, it has to, my time here has to come to an end sometime. So, yeah, it doesn't sound like you have any regrets. No, no, not at all. I mean, I've had a wonderful time here, and I still am. You know, it's it's uh, it's such a wonderful group, and that's what made it such a um, you know hard decision for me to you know take that jump last year, and that's that's why I decided to come back. It's it's uh, just a wonderful place to to grow, mature, um, you know, you know, kind of you know, become a better player. Um, so it was, uh, it was, it, it became easier as I, as I made the decision that this was, you know, where I needed to be and where I, where I wanted to be. So. Hey, so, you know, I do want to talk a little bit about your game, but this is your, like you mentioned, you go back and now you're playing with freshmen, some guys who were in a similar spot to where you were last year. How, how do you think you've grown as a, a leader in that program? I mean, uh, tremendously, you know, that was, that was one of the things that, you know, I wanted to work on, you know, in my, in my time back is, um, try to be that example for, for the younger, younger players on our team, um, be someone that, you know, everyone can look up to, not that I wear, you know, a letter, but I, I think, you know, I bring a lot of qualities that, um, you know, leadership, um, you know, kind of needs. So, you know, I'm always, you know, trying to be vocal. Um, obviously there are two younger players who are new to college hockey, um, you know, and kind of just take them under my wing and, you know, explain to them and kind of show them the ropes that, you know, it's, it's a tough, tough atmosphere. And, um, you know, so that's kind of what I learned so far is just to, to be a good example, bring it every day and, um, you know, be a welcoming person off the ice, be a really good teammate. You know, I think that that goes a long way as well. So there's a, there's a lot of things I've got to learn this year um, on the le- leadership aspect. And um, that was definitely something I needed for, for, uh, for me as an individual. No, that's really cool, man. Because again, I think like the way hockey develops players, oftentimes, it's it's a very and it's not unique because more guys seem to be going the U.S. college route than ever before. Like I was even just looking back at you know Hobie Baker Award winners over the years, uh, like I don't know a week or two ago, and yeah, the level of talent in you know your in your college ranks now has just, it's absolutely skyrocketed. The game has grown so much in the States. It's just, it's deeper player pool than it's ever been before. But I think that it really is great that you were able to kind of get this college experience that you were able to kind of get this time to grow as a leader, as a young man, enjoy some, like you said, have a little bit of a childhood. I hope you feel like you still do get to, you know, enjoy being young. You're only 20 years old. <laughs> You'll be all right. Like you still, yeah, you still have I mean, time. You, you, you won't have to grow up tomorrow. Like you won't have to be a fully fledged adult tomorrow. You, it'll be, you know, we get some time. No. I know, I know. I'm, uh, you know, I'm taking it, taking it a day at a time. You know, it's, I love, I love hearing that I'm still young. And, 
still got many more days ahead of me. So yeah, yeah, you'll be okay. Uh, you got many, many, many days ahead of you. Okay, so like your game itself, I know that one of the focuses for you when you went back to school was improving your first step, uh, improving your speed. But yeah, like I, I am curious what areas of your game you take most pride in that have grown this year. Um, you know, there's honestly there was a lot of things. You know, I think it was almost everything that I needed to work on. Um, all aspects of my game, but um, you know, the kind of things I was I was harped on at development camp a lot was, um, you know, kind of my deceptive feet, my my skating in the corners, um, kind of turning out, um, you know, kind of protecting the puck when it comes to, um, you know, kind of getting off my defender, um, shooting in tight, um, shooting in stride. You know, there's was, there's was those like little things that I needed to work on, those little uh, fine tuned points that I um, needed to fix up a little bit, and that's the kind of things I've been working on. Um, I've constantly been on the ice, you know, before practice to, to try to make sure that, you know, I can get an easier step on my opponent, you know, make sure, um, you know, I can be a little more deceptive and, uh, obviously get the puck off my stick a little bit quicker. That was, that was definitely something I needed to work on. So, um, you know, just trying to rip the puck, um, go in the shooting room a lot, you know, kind of work on some things in there. So it's, um, there's there's a lot of modern parts of my game that I need to work on, but I think those were, those were the main things was, was deceptive feed and, um, kind of shooting in stride and, and shooting in, you know, kind of those awkward situations. So this one might be a little bit more niche, but you guys on your home ice are an Olympic-sized venue. And I know a lot of the rinks that you play in are like that. And, yeah, you've played on smaller ice before too. But do you notice, like, uh, a shift in the way that you have to play or something tangible that you think is going to be maybe a little bit more of a difficult transition when you do come to the NHL on that smaller surface? Yeah, I mean, there's – there's just a lot of time and space you have with the puck, um, just a lot of room. So you kind of have to make, you know, you get a little more time and you don't have to make as quick of decisions as you should. Um, obviously that kind of hurts it that, you know, on an NHL size rate, it's a little bit quicker, a little bit more physical. Um, you know, it's, it's tough to tough to get a lot of hits off when um, you're playing on Olympic ice sheet and, and there's just so much space between you and you and the defenseman. So, um, it's, it's little things like that, just making quicker decisions. That's, that's going to be a big focus to um, make sure I'm doing it on an NHL sheet. And, and same with, uh, you know, being physical, using my body to my advantage when it comes to, comes to an NHL ice sheet. So um, those two things, I think I can see, um, you know, kind of a larger difference when it comes to playing on an Olympic sheet. So one thing where your game has been like an obvious success is you have five game-winning goals this season. And, yeah, there's a, a variety of different ways or situations where you can accumulate that stat. But what, what do you think it means to be clutch? I mean, uh, gosh, I, I mean, it means everything to me. You know, I, I, that's, you know, I always want to be, um, you know, the difference maker. I want to be put in those situations that, um, you know, like, like the penalty kill, the power play um, situations where, you know, I can just make a difference in the game, and that's kind of, um, you know, what I love to do is, is, you know, when it comes to those, um, you know, last minute crunch time is to, you know, kind of win the game and, and be the impact player that I, that I always wanted to be. So that's, you know, it means, it means everything to me to, to, to be a clutch player. So I am also curious, like how much like the leaf stuff just bleeds into your day-to-day life. Cause again, we, we talked about at the beginning, right? Like you've got all these things to balance right now, becoming a leader, playing in these games, being a student athlete, working with tutors, you know, but like, when does it creep into your brain? The idea of like, Holy crap, like the NHL is a possibility for me like months from now. 
it's always going to be in the back of your head is, is the next next step of your life. You know, I, I've um, you know thought about it, um, but you know I can't let it kind of um, eat away at me. You know, I have to focus on the guys here and um, making sure that you know we're winning winning every game and uh, giving my best chance to win a national championship here. And then you know, kind of then I'll let it you know kind of sink in a little bit more that you know this could be a real possibility and um, and that's kind of when I'm gonna you know try to you know, really, uh, really take my time with it and, and make sure I'm making the, the right decision. But, you know, I think um, it's, it's definitely sitting there in the back of my head and there's nothing, nothing much I can do about it, but I can um, just kind of postpone that thought for, for now. So, mm-hmm. you know, I can focus on the guys here. Well, do they give you space? Like what, what's the level of communication like between you and the organization? It's really well, actually. I mean, they, they help me in, you know, all areas that they, they uh you know think are necessary when it comes to you know nutrition or off ice work or um you know video it's it, it's always there for me it's always at my disposal when i um need someone uh to, to work with but you know they also give me my space they're also very distant you know they're not um you know always in my ear and uh kind of telling me what to do they're kind of just uh giving me information to help with me um you know that constructive criticism that that uh you know makes me a better player so um They've been really well on that, you know, healthy medium on, on uh, the the talk with me. So it's it's just been wonderful to have them on my side. Dude, your college diet and my college diet. Oh, we must have been like worlds apart. <laughs> you have no, like they are not comparable. You and I were not the same, man. I, I like there's nobody looking after my nutrition. If I mixed in like vegetables once a week, I was like, very proud of myself. I was like, wow, look at you go, having a water, having a little bit, I, I one salad a week. Way to go, kid. You're really living large. So, uh, how often do you watch them? Um, you know, I mean, they're almost the only ones that are on my TV. Um, it always pops up, you know, I watch them and every time I can, when I'm not in class or doing homework, it's mm-hmm. always kind of up on the TV and, um, you know, we always get a kind of group of guys and, and we're watching, but, um, you know, here and there, I obviously can't, you know, with, with the kind of, you know, tough schedule I have, but, you know, I've got to see, um, a good handful of the games and I mean, they have a pretty tremendous group so far and they've had a, they've had a terrific season. Yeah, no, it's been a good year. It is funny, though, because, you know, you start to get into the dog days of an 82-game schedule, and this year's been obviously strange in the NHL with just the, the playoff format, which I'm sure you've heard a little, at least a little bit about, and how Toronto's kind of locked in this spot. And it, it does feel like new energy to the team is going to end up being a positive thing. And, yeah, when you're watching it, I would imagine it's hard not to try to project yourself into the lineup and start thinking about, like, the different things that you can do or looking at the ways guys play and projecting, you know, who you would fit best with. And, like, don't worry. Like, you know, well, you, I know that things will happen as they happen, but is there anybody in particular on the team that you look at and say, no, this is where my game would blend the best? You know, I, I, I can't really make that um, read just yet. You know, I kind of, you know, I'm, I'm kind of watching it from afar. Um, you know, I think once I kind of uh, would get a feel for it on, you know, when I'm when I kind of step in and, um, you know, kind of get my feet wet and get to know, know the guys, you know, that's kind of when I could, um, answer that kind of question for you. You know, that's not really, um, you know, I, can't, I don't really have the expertise right now on, on, on what would be the best fit. So, um, yeah, I would, I'd really need to kind of dip my toes and I would, I'd give you a better, better picture. 
how aware are you of like how popular you are amongst this fan base already? Um, I'd I'd say I'm fairly aware. Like I I, I kind of understand that. Yeah. Um, that that you know they have uh, there's a lot of eyes and um, they want me to succeed. So I'd say fairly well. Yeah, because it's it's funny right now. Like I would imagine being you too. It's like you've never played for the team, and yeah, uh, you. Like, I know you've got to be, like, at least a little bit on social media, try to block some of it out. You know, I looked at your Twitter account, obviously, before we jump on here. I'm like, all right, this dude's not very active. He's just, you know, supporting teammates, former teammates, alumni, making sure, like, yeah, he shines a light on other people when they get their opportunity. But, yeah, dude, it's like there's a culture war up here of people who are like, you can absolutely never trade this guy. They've got this deadline coming up. You're the top prospect. I would imagine that to a certain degree, blocking out that noise is a little bit difficult. Yeah, I mean, that's the noise that... I'm exactly talking about, you know, it's, it's kind of always there in your head, but, you know, I have to do my best that it's, it's not going to affect me. It's not going to get to me. And, um, you know, it's not going to change the kind of player I'm going to be or the, the person I am. You know, that's, uh, that's a whole different world out there on the, on the Twitter, on Twitter. So, um, you know, I kind of really just don't focus on it. You know, it pops up here and there, but it's, it's not really the, uh, the biggest deal to me. Hey, so I think that's a pretty good rule to live by. It's like the more you can stay off Twitter is the better. It's just a good rule yeah, to live correct. by in general. Uh, hey, hey, man, uh, again, you've had a terrific year. Um, I think it's pretty clear just in terms of, yeah, the way that you've been evaluated by professionals, what um, the organization has to ha- say about you, what your teammates have had to say about you, coaches. Yeah, like it's been a terrific year, man, and I'm really glad that, yeah, you – you've just embraced this opportunity that everything has worked out really well for you. And yeah, there are a lot of people that are very excited to see you up here in Toronto, man. So best of luck with the rest of your season. Good luck um, in your playoffs and yeah, really soak in those final days or however long you end up having down there at the university of Minnesota. I know you love it. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. Take care, man. Matthew nice. Uh, Maple Leafs prospect, Minnesota Gophers forward. And yes, polished kid who was very different than I was in university and very different from uh, all of you who are listening to this right now. So there he is. There's Matthew Nyes, um, the savior, as so many people want to believe right now. This is, this is where I'm at with um, the kid. And thanks to him for making time for the show. And it, it was fun getting to chat with him. And it is crazy for me. I'm, I'm sure I brought it up way too many times, but trying to compare and contrast the experiences of a college student to a normal one and how, yeah, it's probably fine. I know a lot of guys know they're going pro when they're in college and other sports, but having it sit there with hockey is different. You're not getting drafted, right? You're not waiting for the combine, it's not an off-season where you get to train with a team. It's you finish your university hockey career and you jump into an original six franchise, the biggest hockey team on planet Earth by, like, a wide margin. And you are expected to be a contributor that will snap what is now sports most I don't want to say famous drought because people don't know enough about it in the States. But it is known in the States, even to people who have no understanding of the Leafs. 
you say, what do you know about the Toronto Maple Leafs? I think that the most common answer would probably be you go down to Mobile, Alabama, and you ask them what they know about the Leafs. I bet you, I bet you, they say Canada loves them, and they haven't won in a long time. That those are the family feud answers for even people that don't watch any hockey at all have probably never even seen a game. So yeah, it's a lot. It's a very interesting place to be in, especially since most of us, when we get out of school, are grappling with what the hell are we going to do next. It's a pretty different thing to go, oh, I know what I'm doing next, and it's, it's extremely pressure-packed. There's a lot of expectation. But here's where I'm at with Nyes in terms of trade piece, trade chip. Do you go all in? Do you do this? Do you do that? I'll get a chance to watch him more in the Frozen Four. You won't really get a chance to watch him any time before then. Or you won't get a chance to watch him, sorry, in the pro level before the deadline, which is unfortunate for this team because it'd be decent to just be able to have like a week or two long runway, right? Ahead of March 3rd. You don't get that. I have to rely on what other people have said who have been industry vets and who have done this for decades plus when evaluating Matthew Nice. Because my drop-ins to junior tournaments and highlight clips is not nearly enough, right? It's just you got to trust the consensus. He's clearly the Leafs' top prospect. He clearly represents something that could be a team need. But it's insane to believe that he's going to come into this roster and help them more than an NHL player could. Like a, the, well, I don't know, what, 90% of the NHL? Maybe that's too high of a number, but the expectation for him to be an impact player, I don't think is fair. It's a low bar he needs to hurdle over, but expectations probably are not going to meet reality in terms of who he is today, what he is right now. However, I also just don't see... I don't see how moving him right now would be smart. If you're going to move Matthew Nyes... His value isn't going to drop off from this season to next. There's no like control element of this. There's no age element of this. There's no overexposure element of this. Like there's nothing that can happen between now and the off season that is going to appreciably change his value as a player. If anything it probably just ends up going the other way. That's the real the, the reality of the situation is if he comes in, he plays for the Leafs, and he gives them anything at all. Like, he's able to just hang. He's able to make the playoff roster. That is going to add to his value. They're at a deadline where it's Timo Meyer, and then not, I don't want to say lottery tickets, but a lot of you don't know what. They're only adding him for term. Meyer, as we said, is somebody who technically doesn't have it because there's no contract beyond this one. But he's an RFA, and there's just a bunch of different things that Toronto could do with that that they couldn't with, obviously, an unrestricted free agent who could just end up walking because they're priced out of what Toronto has. My belief is that, as of today, given who is available, given the names that you would have to put eyes into, whether it's Timo Meyer or whether it's Jacob Chikrin, not worth it. Chikrin seems off the board. Really, this comes down to would you move him for Meyer? No. Timo Meyer might be one of the world's best players. He's incredible. He might fit so much of what Toronto needs. But you're only guaranteed 
a little over a month with him. And that's just not enough for me to sacrifice three years of a top prospect. That's not a good enough value for me. If I'm the Leafs, I'm not saying that Nyes is untouchable forever and ever and ever, but I don't know why they wouldn't be looking at next offseason as a little bit more of the quote-unquote all-in, despite it, not, it only being one kick at the can versus two. This Leafs team is good, all right? Some people hate them, some people love them, whatever. They're a good team. I don't think they're the best team. I think that they have flaws. I think they have holes. They need depth. They need a better blue line, a tougher blue line. I don't think that they're mean enough. They might have an issue in goal. We don't know. It looks kind of fine right now with Samsonov, but he's been a streaky goaltender. He's somebody that only got a one-year contract here in Toronto for a reason. So believing that he's just going to be the guy in a playoff series still is a bit of a stretch for me. I don't think that we'll get that answer in the regular season. Maybe. Maybe you feel more confident about it, but it's hard. It's really, really hard. Given all the question marks about this team and the matchups that they have, and I know those things aren't changing, but you do have a bit of a certainty with where Tampa is right now as a team, how good they are right now as a team, where Vasilevsky is as a player, where their blue line is, how their forward depth is looking. And this does appear to be a special year for the Boston Bruins that does not have a long shelf life. It really does feel like the Boston thing could change drastically just a year from now, especially depending on what kind of trades they decide to make as a group, how much they decide that this is an all-in season. I don't feel that same level of desperation for the Leafs. A lot of people talk about the guaranteed years of Matthews and whatever, and you only get so many of them. Okay, I hear that argument. I've just always been a... I've always been very dubious of the idea that Matthews is going to leave the Toronto Maple Leafs for greener pastures. I don't know where that place is. It was never going to be Arizona, and people talk about the LA Kings. I think he's savvy enough to know that this is the place where he gets to be one of the faces of the league, and this is the place where he's going to get the most attention, and that this is still going to be a place where he will have opportunities to win. They'll still have a chance to bring back all of these guys. Tavares will, pro will probably come off the books. My guess is Tavares will sign a sweetheart deal here as he ages. And the cap is going to eventually go up. And Toronto should be able to exploit some of that. Their conference, their division, whatever, it's, it's not going to remain the same. I like Toronto for the next few seasons more than I like the teams that they're competing with right here and the right now. To me, it would be a mistake to move the only piece that you have of real consequence or real potential today, Matthew Nyes, and a move for a month of Timo Meyer, and then giving yourself the headache down the road of either potentially flipping him or moving a different roster piece out, which could be, again, with a different general manager. It's possible. We at least need to say it's possible. Too much, too much risk, not enough reward. To me, it makes way more sense to have Nyes, see what he is over the next three years on his entry-level deal, the value that he could provide you, or go into the offseason when uh, there are far more teams that are willing to talk to you and you have a major trade chip, major trade piece that you can use in a negotiation for shaking up your roster. Like, it's, it's weird. It's kind of the... It, it's so different from the way that I was feeling about the Raptors trade deadline, but that's where I'm at with Nyes. Same value in the offseason. Take a look then. 
Share those discussions with teams. If you view it as an all-in season where you really don't know what the future of Matthews is going to be, what the future of Nylander is going to be, then yeah, have that talk. Start your season fresh. Start with that kind of... God, it's funny. We've done this last dance thing with the Leafs so many times. But yeah, start with that last dance piece with your actual roster that hasn't really done anything. But yeah, I don't, I don't see the trade that Nyes brings back, even if it's Timo Meyer. This, let's say the Leafs bring back Timo Meyer. You as the most confident Leaf fan on planet Earth, right? I'm talking to you, the Pete Walkers of the world, that are the most optimistic people. Do you really believe deep down that that automatically makes the Leafs a heavy favorite in the Tampa series? Like, let's say a minus 200 favorite, a minus 180 favorite. I don't. I still think it's kind of the same math. I feel better about them, no question about it. He would probably have huge moments for them. They absolutely need some scoring. He's a perfect fit from a stylistic standpoint. But with every team bidding for him, it seems very clear that that is the guy that you have to put in a trade. And then more, potentially. And and I'm just not doing that. There's too many question marks with this team. There's not enough that's attached to their future. And if I'm a Leaf fan, which I am, I don't want to see a future where it is all dependent on one year of Matthews and Nylander and then potentially wilderness where they don't have any prospects, any pieces, any reasonable belief that they're going to improve, potentially a different general manager, and then this team making the mistakes that they used to make, which was overpaying guys in free agency or going out and getting players that were over the hill and giving them contracts and seeing if that was going to work for them and then waiting again for their tank to happen and then the draft picks to build up all over again. Just not into it. Don't want to see it. Don't really believe in it. Would rather not. So yeah, unless something presents itself over the next two weeks that involves something more interesting, that involves, yeah, a player with straight-up term and who is cost-controllable, whatever. I'm not moving Matthew Nyes for Timo Meyer. I'm not moving Matthew Nyes, obviously, for Jacob Chikrin. And I'm certainly not moving Matthew Nyes for any of the other names that have been bandied about over the last couple of weeks when it comes to their availability through trades. Let somebody else have them. Roll the dice with the group that you were so confident in this year anyways that so many people thought was just as good as Tampa and should have beat Tampa anyways. So then what's changed? You should still be able to beat them then. Add a little bit. Try to figure out your bottom six, but not at the expense of him. Uh, quick break. Let's come back. At 590 the fan. All right, let's wrap this sucker up. Turns out I have way less time than I thought. Whoops. Went really long on a lot of Matthew Nye's takes. So I'll save everything that I was going to say about uh, spring training and about full swing for tomorrow with Ennis. We'll do good hour. We'll catch up. Uh, we, this, uh, this is the first week we're last week where we didn't do good hour because the NBA trade deadline, both of us were too busy. It just didn't work out with the guests. So maybe I'll get Ben's thoughts on the wraps at the all-star break too. Even though God, what is there to say? This is, this is going to be the weirdest time after the Leafs make moves at the deadline. We go from like March, let's say fifth till the end of those two regular seasons. 
we're going to be trying to like really overplay the idea of the Raptors trying to get out of the play-in or whatever the hell spot they get in the play-in versus the Leafs trying to battle with Tampa for home ice advantage. <laughs> it is going to be some redundant conversations for these two groups, and both, both of them now playoffs matter. Because, again, if you're the Raptors, you can't make that trade and then not have playoffs matter. And yeah, obviously, the, that's the situation with the Leafs. Uh, do me a favor. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave five stars. Do all those nice things, especially for those of you that, you know, caught uh, catch the show on the radio at times. I always get messages from you guys being like, oh, I happen to catch the show. I really liked it. And it's like, yeah, there, we have a podcast, too. Subscribe. Leave five stars. And then you'll see what's up on every single show. Do yourself a favor. Share it with a friend. And I will see you tomorrow for good hour. And John Morosi will check in down on those Blue Jays down in Dunedin. See you then.